You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Okay, hello. With me today is Stuart Udell, CEO of Achieve 3000. Mr. Udell brings more than 25 years of K-12 focus experience to his company. Most recently, uh, he was CEO at K-12, a publicly traded operator of virtual charter schools. Prior to that, he served as chairman and CEO of Catapult Learning, CEO of Penn Foster, a division president at Renaissance Learning, and president of Kaplan K-12 Learning Services. Mr. Udell also serves on the boards of the National Dropout Prevention Center, the Successful Practices Network, and the Foundation for Blended and Online Learning. And also, uh, Stuart, you can add to your, your list of credentials uh, the first repeat uh, guest on Remote Possibilities. Congratulations, and thanks for coming back. Thanks, Kevin. With that long list of jobs, it sounds like I can't keep one, but I do appreciate the introduction. <laughs> And I am flattered to be your first repeat guest. Uh, I love the podcasts, and it's uh, wonderful what you're doing to give us all so much fantastic content while we're at home often. Well, thank you. You were actually, yeah, one, one of the first um, when I was really kind of uh, just getting started in this whole podcast thing. Uh, and at that time, I went back and listened to the conversation. And unfortunately, I think we were both hopeful that uh, come the fall, things may have uh return to some sort of normalcy uh unfortunately my my boys are sitting right across from me in the hall here having been back quarantined from their school uh and the districts are still in a state of uh of disarray but um that's where we are right it certainly is sadly i don't think it's about the future being better or worse it's just different for now and it probably will be different for a while so uh it's uh, it's important that we all continue to innovate and figure out how to make sure uh, kids like yours get the best education possible. Yeah. Well, um, you know, looking back uh, on, on our first conversations, um, Achieve 3000 was really one of the first organizations to come out with some uh, hard data on uh, on learning loss and really kind of the, kind of the first uh, dose of reality uh, of what we're dealing with. Just yesterday, I saw a, a survey released that said that there are three million students in the United States that still haven't reconnected with any sort of formal learning at all since March. Um, what ha- I, I assume that um, you folks have been continuing your your, your data research. Uh, any updates to the, those first reports in the, in May? Sure. Well, thanks. Uh, we we have, in fact, uh, you know, we always entered uh, when we did that study back in May. We knew that we'd be looking carefully at back to school data, and we are putting the very final finishing touches on a follow-up study that will be released in just a couple of weeks. But I certainly uh, don't mind, Kevin, giving you kind of the first very quick preview of, of the results there. What we are seeing is that the measured learning loss was indeed real. What's interesting, though, is that we're not seeing quite as much either learning loss or what we'd like to call unrealized potential gain, because what we do find with a lot of students who are doing reading practice regularly, whether it's on the Achieve platform or any platform for that matter, matter, uh, there tends to be a lot less learning loss. And very often there's actually gains as measured by Lexiles or even any other measurement system 
over the summer in literacy if reading practice continues. So we typically see about 20 points of Lexile gain. What we're seeing this year for back to school is that that gain is less. There is a gain, though. It's not a backslide. Uh, so, you know, depending on where you think the line is, it's either an unrealized potential gain or a loss from what was possible. The other uh, things that we're seeing in the study, and we're just, again, just kind of putting a, a bow on this, um, are that, as expected, we are seeing the achievement gap widen by a bit, but nowhere near what we thought the worst expectations were. So it looks like about a 3% widening of the achievement gap. Not minimizing that. That's very tragic, of course. Uh, that's a gap that needs to shrink, not grow. Sure. And, and similarly, and this is a little bit different than the socioeconomics that we understand that are around the achievement gap, but if we just look at struggling readers versus advanced readers, there is some correlation, of course, to socioeconomics, but uh, certainly not anywhere near one-to-one. Those struggling readers have also fallen a little bit further behind, you know, a couple percent or so. Uh, the last interesting data point that we're kind of seeing um, is that the loss or unrealized gain seems to be greater at the lower grade levels. So with primary kids in particular, we are seeing greater loss. And we heard lots of anecdotes and read lots in the press, certainly, about how hard it was to educate kindergarten, first, second, third graders online relative to you know kids who... Um, could be a little more self-directed. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that um, almost hints at good news, right? <laughs> I mean, it was better news than I think uh, our research team expected. We and by the way, we did this study as we did the last one in conjunction with two, you know, fa- fabulous partners, the Successful Practices Network, which uh, Bill Daggett, Dr. Bill Daggett, and Ray McNulty uh, oversee. Uh, and secondly, um, uh, the Center for College and Career Readiness run by uh, Kevin Baird. Okay, great, great. Uh, yeah, I mean, as I sit here watching my two beta testers in, in remote learning, uh, they've been in a hybrid setup, but now back to, to full remote. Uh, there have seemed to be um, advances. Uh, as, as awful as the spring was, it does either they're adjusting or the teachers are adjusting. Uh, I think uh, also the fact that in a lot of the school setups, the teachers are back in the classroom and actually kind of broadcasting out to students. So they're kind of in their, in their home base. Um, there seems to be a, a, a leveling out for those that can connect. Yeah, I think that is true. There is uh, there is some leveling out. I do think, you know, if we look at spring to fall, there is no question that we've made great progress. Uh, the complete disarray and chaos that most school districts saw in the spring has been replaced by some, you know, more moderated uh, chaos, I would say. And some some districts are, you know, really delivering. Where I think we're having real trouble is what you alluded to just a few moments ago, Kevin, about you know, there's 3 million kids we can't find who haven't showed up. And, you know, in a typical year, and I say this as the longtime former chairman of the National Dropout Prevention Center, but in a typical year, we might see, you know, a million up to a million and a quarter dropouts. And that's obviously a, a tragic situation, but one that we've, um, depending on which data you look at, we perhaps made progress over the last 15 years. Although I would argue we've made a lot less progress than we think because we 
we measure things differently. We used to have uh, 32 states with exit requirements. Now we only have 11. That makes it easier to graduate. Uh, but regardless, we've made some progress over the last couple decades. I think we've given most of it back. You know, sadly, um, we don't. Uh, you know, I, I have not yet seen data on the you know uh, the grade level uh, range, but we do think these missing kids are mostly top heavy in terms of grade levels, middle and high school kids predominantly, although not entirely. And, um, you know, it's really hard when a kid drops out to get them back because usually they're not dropping out. They're just refusing to, you know, they're, they've changed their mind about dropping in. And it usually takes a, uh, an adult who makes an emotional connection with a child to bring them back. Uh, so either it's a coach or a counselor or a teacher, favorite teacher, or someone who cares about that child's life because they may or may not have anyone who has the time to care about them enough at home. And in a virtual world, um, you know, I don't know if we know yet how to make those connections effectively to bring kids back who've stopped showing up. Yeah, yeah. Well, the social, emotional uh, learning aspects have certainly been uh, front and center uh, since uh, all this madness began. And I know that that's one of the themes that you have for your, your upcoming summit. Uh, it seems here that not only effective remote instruction and uh, dealing with trauma uh, and the equity uh, issues that we discussed. Talk a little bit about what I guess would have been an in-person second annual National Literacy Summit, but now is is has, like everything else, been thrust online. Well, yeah, that we were disappointed because last year's event, last November, was a fabulous one. We do co-produce uh, this conference with our nonprofit partner, the Successful Practices Network. And in full disclosure, Kevin, I do sit on the board. Uh, I'm very honored to uh, work with Dr. Daggett and Ray McNulty and their team. Um, and we, we work closely as organizations. But, you know, we had a fabulous event last year in Orlando, you know, all in, you know, the pushing a thousand people or so were there. It was, you know, exciting. Uh, we really focused uh, on not just giving the podium to some tremendous keynote speakers, but also to practitioners, folks who either used our products or used other products effectively in schools. But, you know, my what we tried to really generate in the conference was that, uh, you know, my goal at a conference is every day I want to leave with three or four real nuggets, things I can bring back to the classroom and make a difference. So we had to, you know, re-envision it and reimagine it a little bit this year. We've moved to an online platform we're using uh, Entrato, which is a fantastic platform uh, for virtual conferences. So when folks arrive, they will walk into the lobby of the convention hall and they'll see welcome videos and, you know, all the things we do at a regular conference. Um, but we really, um, we kind of reconfigured the lineup to be very focused on those key topics you talked about around SEL, around equity, around literacy, particularly uh, differentiation around trauma, all the things that we're grappling with in this virtual world. And, you know, I believe very firmly we've put together a speaker lineup that um, I may have never seen anyone this good at a, at a national, you know, conference before on, uh, on literacy, uh, specifically around education broadly. So we're, we're really excited about the folks we have coming. Um, you know, I can tell you we... Um, are just right now eclipsing last year's attendance. So by the time we kind of, you know, and this is the type of event we're seeing in the virtual world, we get a lot of very late attendees coming in. So we're excited that even though we pivoted to virtual, uh, it, you know, seems to be uh, getting great attention. Yeah, that's great because, uh, you know, there is 
again, trying to find some silver linings in all of this. Um, is this a case where you were able to have a lineup of folks where if it were in person, just because of uh, who they are and their busy schedules may not have been able to attend in person? Uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, you know, to get them all on the same day, because we'll be running from 830 till about 6 uh, p.m., to get them all on the same day in the same place would have been virtually impossible. To get, you know, Kwaku Mandela, a noted filmmaker, grandson of Nelson Mandela, you know, education activist and advocate, uh, he's a tough guy to get a hold of. And frankly, his typical, you know, daily speaker's fees would be about as much as our conference budget. But we've been, you know, very, he's been very gracious to, you know, help us with his time. Uh, you know, a guy like that would be tough to attract. And, you know, when we think about Dr. Bill Daggett, you know, Dr. Doug Fisher, you know, kind of uh, really kind of, you know, one of the kingpins in, in literacy instruction, differentiated literacy, building equity around literacy, Carol Ann Tomlinson, uh, Goldie Muhammad, who just, you know, uh, wrote her book, Cultivating Genius, that's getting a ton of attention. Um, and going down the list, Dr. You know, Pedro Nogueira, in a brand new job as the dean of the Rossier School of Education at USC, you know, he's a tough guy to get to take a, you know, a day on a new job to come out to our conference. And, you know, the list goes on with Principal L and uh, uh, Dwayne Reed, who spoke at our conference last year, one of the most fun teachers you can ever see as he, almost all of his teaching instruction is done through song. Um, really, really, you know, a fantastic speaker lineup. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um, now, is your emphasis on it being live? I mean, I, I've attended so many of these virtual online events now in the education space, and there are a lot of advantages to it. But there's also uh, a case where you're having some uh, Zoom fatigue, especially on on one day, and you're looking at it eight hours across. Uh, are, are you hopeful that people will be able to go in and uh, follow along after the event itself? Yeah, well, well, we'll certainly be doing both. I mean, we hope that we have lots of traction during the day, and I think we will. And this, you know, frankly, this isn't brand new to us. We've done about 75 webinar, uh, you know, kind of uh, webinars and professional development webinars, I should say, over the last uh, six months. And these were aside from all of the district work we do, which are you know, hundreds or thousands of that matter. But yeah, it will be one big full day, and I think a lot of folks will, you know, attend quite a few of these live. Every attendee will have access for a year to the entire library of video, and all of our speakers have been very gracious about, uh, uh, you know, providing that level of access. So uh, we we are excited, and and frankly, we're still adding speakers. Uh, I, I I'm not even sure if it's on our website yet, but uh, Dr. Jesus Jara, who is the uh, superintendent in Clark County school district, the fourth largest in the country, who's doing some very innovative work around uh, equity, around uh, around literacy instruction, um, and uh, around really just innovative leadership, uh, will be joining us for a kind of a, a, an educational leaders panel. And we've got a couple more who will be announcing soon who will be joining them. So we think it's going to be a fantastic day. And I do love the, the notion that folks can come back and, you know, rewatch something or watch an event that they missed. Yeah. Wow. So 75 webinars in, in the past six months. And I guess that's uh, in replacement or complement to professional development that you would have done in person otherwise? Right. That might have been if we did a regional professional development to work with either some of our 
school partners or prospects. Uh, you know, these are just events where, you know, either we're presenting data or, uh, you know, best practice around literacy instruction, or we're working with a partner. I know we've done, you know, a number of events with uh, Ray McNulty uh, recently, who's, you know, one of our kind of favorite partners uh, uh, talking about change management and how to, you know, drive uh, change in an environment, whether it's static or a highly dynamic one in which we live now. So those are, yeah, those are the types of events that's really been, uh, you could call them almost, you know, lead generation events, frankly. They are an opportunity to bring together folks who might be interested in hearing more from us. Uh, and, you know, those were all in person in the past, and now they're virtually virtual. So we've all had to live in the new world. Let me ask you to uh, be a bit of a prognosticator. Do you see a lot of these um, practices, the use of the web webinars, which have always been there, but have obviously accelerated as a result of this, but these virtual events, will these things be sticking around uh, once we get past this mess? Or do you see us uh, going back to whatever normal was? Yeah, I think that's the case. You know, I think there's a slow retreat. You know, the tidal wave came in, it'll drag itself back out slowly. And I think that's not just true with these events, Kevin, but when I just think about professional development in general, I don't mind sharing some of our inside baseball data. But, you know, in a typical year like last year, we delivered a little bit north of 10,000 days of professional development. So that's a, a person getting on a plane or driving to get to a school district, working with teachers, either in a stand and deliver fashion or doing some data coaching or working with leadership or doing some modeling, whatever it might be. But they're typically in the building for four or five hours and then they get in their car or jump on the plane and fly home. Um, you know, that has pivoted to about 98 percent or so virtual, although we still have a, a few schools calling us in. And because we're, you know, trying to be very good partners, we've said, look, we understand that a virtual event that might be 60 or 90 minutes is not quite as much uh, value as a full day. So we'll give you a effectively a three for one, you know, trade on those days. So we're now committed to delivering 30,000 professional development webinars of in between 60 and 90 minutes this year. And, you um, to get to your question about forward, you know, next year, I think that number is 75% virtual. Three years from now, I think we're at 50% virtual. And that's not based on any hard data. It maybe is just intuition, but I'm not so sure schools will be all that thrilled to have everyone start running in their front doors again in the next year or two. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, it, 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 there is this kind of emerging um, perception uh, and again, I'll, I'll go back to my own anecdotal data here as 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 a parent. I mean, the, the back to school night via Zoom was much better than any I have ever attended in person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was it was more effective. It was in a strange way more intimate um, than it would be if you're one of forty parents who was checking their watch in a classroom sitting in a small desk, right? Um, so as I've spoken with district leaders who said their school board meetings are more effective than they've ever been via Zoom versus the dynamics of being in class. Uh, a few of a few, uh, the uh, folks I've spoken to uh, who focus on special needs say that counseling sessions are, can be more effective um, remotely than in person. Is that uh, how do you find that with the professional development um, that, that you guys are providing? You know, we see that. We have really high sticking power, I would say. You know, I always watch 
how many folks are logged in when this thing starts and what's it look like an hour later? And we're typically only seeing about 10% attrition. And, you know, some folks are busy. Look, one of the great things about being online is that you or I or any participant can check something out and say, well, it's not resonating. You can just turn it off and go about your business the rest of the day. But we are, we are seeing very little attrition, probably no more than people picking up their coffee and walking out of the room in the school building. And, right. and I think the focus is important. I think folks knowing I've got an hour to get good information rather than I'm being, you know, put in the teacher's lounge for lounge for a three hour PD session. You know, it's uh, it's much more targeted. It's much more direct. It makes sure we get to the important message points early. And I think everybody appreciates that. And I think maybe like once. Um, well, now that we're all more used to this dynamic, right? There's that. And then I'm hopeful that the technology will improve, too. I mean, that's that's the other thing I've noticed with uh, my kids this fall with the um, the, the cameras focused on the teacher in the classroom versus that Zoom Hollywood Square setup. It's just it's a it's a better dynamic, um, and that maybe going forward, um, this could be a compliment. Although I can't wait uh, to go back in person to uh, events such as yours. And maybe <laughs> Thank you. if you could tell the audience uh, a little bit more about how they can follow along. You bet. Uh, the easiest thing to do is to just go to literacysummit.com. You can see the entire program, the entire agenda. We've got about 15, I'd say, world-class educational thought leaders, authors, and speakers. Uh, they are all coming prepared, very focused, to talk about things you can do in the classroom to make a difference now. Not theoretically, not abstractly, but what can a participant walk away from and really make a difference in their instructional practice. So uh, we, we love the way we're, you know, kind of putting it all together. Um, it's, you know, easy to uh, enroll either via credit card on the spot or via purchase order from a school district. So we're uh, working very closely uh, with folks to, you know, make that as uh, seamless as possible. But uh, we're, we're excited about the event. We'll have the same great co-hosts as last year, uh, Dr. Debbie Crimmins and Kevin Baird. Uh, so that will be familiar to folks who've attended, you know, multiple years. And uh, I really think, uh, you know, you could pick almost any one of these speakers and say, I'm going to go to event because Dr. Goldie Muhammad is there. I'm going to go to this event because, you know, I know Principal L is speaking. Uh, we've got 15 of them in one day. So we think it's uh, hopefully very compelling and, and will be very enjoyable and, and useful to practitioners. Well, that sounds great. I'll I'll uh, I'll clear my schedule. Maybe I'll drive to the airport and just pretend I'm flying there. <laughs> That's exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. No, unfortunately, uh, none of that other conference stuff that we all love. Just catching up with old friends at the bar afterwards and such. But uh, you can bring a drink along. We won't penalize you for that. <laughs> Fair enough. I never thought I would uh, miss Newark Airport, but that's where we are. <laughs> Well, Stuart, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. And as always, uh, the insights uh, were really uh, effective, I think. Well, thank you, Kevin. I really appreciate being invited back. And uh, and also, as I said earlier, appreciate all the great your work, uh, great work you're doing to share insights from thought leaders around the space. Well, great. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And I hope you click around and find another episode soon.